Welcome back to the Deep End podcast. I'm your host, Sam, and today I have a very special guest. This person is a queer somatic sex educator and ceremonialist. And this person's name is Jamie Lee Willoughby. I'm so excited to have you here and have a really deep chat about some very important things that we need to address. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here and just want to acknowledge how honoured I feel that you recognise me as someone is as worthy of coming on here and sharing what I have to share. So thank you for having me. Uh, I'm so appreciative of your time and wisdom that's about to come through. So thank you. <laughs> and now you hang up first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So let's jump straight in. My first mm-hmm. question is tell me about your cultural background and how that has influenced you to become the person you are today. Mm. So I am probably the definition of a mixed race person. So my father is a coloured South African and coloured South Africans are the most mixed people in the world, right? So we've got like Indian German, Dutch, Khoisan, the native people of Southern Africa. And then on my mum's side, my mum was given up for adoption at birth, but she's English, Lebanese, and we recently found out as well, Indigenous mob from Tasmania. So I'm like this big, (laughs) beautiful cauldron mixture of all these ethnicities and, and cultures. And so whenever I've connected to my ancestry, I'm like, whoa, I've got all these different wisdoms and ways of being that are connected to me biologically through my DNA and spiritually as well. Um, But growing up, I was mostly connected to my South African heritage. Um, And yeah, my family left South Africa because of apartheid, um, the racial injustice that was happening over there. So I think that growing up as a South African in Australia, I was always aware of kind of the the darker part of being a human being um, because I would grow up hearing stories of apartheid. And so I always have felt like I'm this bridge between worlds and, you know, like, being an Aussie kid and like doing all these Australian things and stuff like that, but then having this tether to this cultural experience that is something different than what all the other Aussie kids are connected to. And I'll talk about this a lot, me being the bridge. I feel like I am the bridge between worlds. And so the bridge between like Caucasian, European, Australia, and then, um, you know, brown ethnicities and brown culture is something that I um yeah, continue to connect to and I'm like, okay, how can I bridge these worlds? Because I am the embodiment of all of these different, yeah, cultures and and races. And so, yeah, it it is so much of who I am and I'm so proud of the people that I have come from and their struggle and the healing work that I do now is doing all the healing that my ancestors couldn't do and in exchange, they gift me their wisdom. And that's present in my body. It's present in my spirituality. And so, yeah, it's it's so much of who I am. 
Thank you for sharing that. And I see your presence online is so polarizing. It's like, you know, you have photos of you being, and it's amazing, by the way, and I love it. <laughs> I love how polarizing it is because it does, it, it stirs up a feeling within me and I'm sure others that kind of provokes this outside the box thinking. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've witnessed you stand up for um, Indigenous rights of Australia and you're very passionate and you're also really well informed. Like I've felt quite educated by a lot of the things that you share online and just the wisdom is so present. It's so present. So I feel that in your essence and I feel that coming through in your online presence. Yeah. 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 I feel so grateful to be on this land. I'm on Rwandari country at the moment. This is the land that I was born on and the ancient wisdom that is embedded in this land and also the ancient wisdom that First Nations people hold is unmatched. And I feel so privileged that despite all the different chaos in my ancestry that I ended up to be here on this land and I want to acknowledge that I am who I am because of the magic wisdom and presence that this land and First Nations people have um, offered to me. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> um, and yeah, so my, I really want to travel down the path of your wisdom around menstruation mm-hmm. for pussy owners. Yeah. And um, yeah, what led you down that path? Mm. Well, it took me a, a while to get here. Because like most people, I grew up feeling really like about periods and bleeding. And I actually was really late to get my period. Actually, everything was perfect timing. That's why I put late in like quotation marks because um, I thought that I was a late bloomer and I wanted my period to come so bad, so bad. So by the time that it came, I was like, okay, finally, I'm a woman now. I'm grown and I'm going to use tampons. And it became like this flex. And that's all it kind of meant to me. Like I've got two older sisters. So I I watched them go through puberty and get their periods. By the time that it came to me, I was like, yeah, great, got it. And there was just sort of this thing that was a part of my life that annoyed me. Um, I was pretty quick to get on the pill and I just didn't connect to it to be anything besides something that just happened that affirmed me getting older. Um, And I suppose once I started deepening my relationship with spirituality and plant medicine it encouraged me to begin to look inward because I was always curious about this grand mystery. When I was in high school, I studied philosophy and got really into Buddhism. And then I was like, oh, all these external ways that I can understand what it means to be a human being. And then it just got to a point, maybe I was like 21, where everything that I was learning just invited me to actually look within, look in the fabric of my body. And I was just was posed with that question what does it mean to have a womb like what is this actually about like I bleed monthly my insides are shedding out of my genitals I have the capacity to create life what does that mean to me and so what I began to do is 
just get rid of all the stories that I had implanted in my psyche about what menstruation a period was. And the, the most intense thing to remove that I am still doing and will continuously do is shame and disgust. I remember feeling like I was so cool that I could just shove a tampon in and get on with my life. And I remember judging other people who bleed. Like I remember people talking about like, oh, PMS and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't get that. Like those people are crazy because they feel more intensely before they bleed or while they're bleeding. And I was like, who put that idea in my head, this judgment towards this cyclical way of being? And so, yeah, the first process for me was pulling all of that that shame out. And when I first started using a menstrual cup, I was forced to know myself and my bleed on a more intimate level because you take the menstrual cup out of you and suddenly you can see, you know, I could see how much I'm bleeding. And I'm like, whoa. And then it became this embodied experience. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, pull a tampon out and discard it and don't think about it. But then I was kind of like, what? <laughs> what is this? So, yeah, it was a combination of, like, uh, shifting my habits towards my menstruation and then um, looking inwardly for this, like, sense of um, wisdom and then consciously relinquishing shame, these shame stories. That's where it started. <laughs> that I feel like you're just replicating and you're like in my head because <laughs> that's literally the process I went, well, I haven't gone through that. Well, no, yeah, similar process, the same judgments. I remember, I remember just like getting really bad PMS ones and I was telling my ex about it and his mum turned around and said like, I never complained at your age because she had menopause. She's like, I never complained when I had PMS. And just that shame and judgment for me expressing how I'm feeling. Like, also, did you hear the story? This is what I heard. And I don't know if this is, I've I've checked in with other people that kind of like, so the story goes that God punished us because Eve ate from the tree of knowledge. Yeah. Have you heard that? No. Okay. well that's what I grew up not learning is that like the reason why and this is something I'm like why do we get our periods why do we bleed and and that's what I was told and I was and like we were punished we were punished for seeking knowledge for seeking knowledge and trusting the snake <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting because the snake represents like kundalini erotic sacred sexuality energy and it's like Eve trusting that and and yearning for knowledge it's like that's that's something to be celebrated and yeah you referring to your um previous partner's mom it's like yes the the generations of uh womb holders before us were not allowed to complain they literally had to get on with it and weren't given a safe space to bleed or weren't surrounded by people that acknowledge that bleeding is intense, intensely beautiful and intensely difficult and overall perceived as sacred. But it's like from that generation's perspective on menstruation, 
to where I am now is menstruation being the most sacred human experience. There's quite a long journey that we have to go on and a shift in the collective psyche before we can return to this this sacred way of understanding it, which is old. The oldest perspective on menstruation is the sacred perspective. So what happened in between then and now? Like what yeah. happened? Um, colonization. Colonization. Wow, yeah. Um, because especially when we look at Indigenous perspectives worldwide have this intrinsic link between what happens in the in the human body what happens in nature it's about honoring the the ancestors and the next generation to come and and indigenous people's perspective of time is different which is why the especially in native american indigenous philosophy they have great emphasis on the seven generations prior and the seven generations to come so even just having that perspective it's not like me the individual now it's like okay there's this grandness that's happening and people who have wombs are the portals between times you know if if it's my responsibility to bring in the future generations how is that going to shift the relationship that I have with with my womb and and with my body? And yeah, in Indigenous perspectives, womb holders were respected as having a very unique relationship with Creator because womb holders are the bridge between this world and the next we bring in life and that life form from the universe from creator from the dreaming whatever terminology is used womb holders have that unique tether to bring that in so in that same way womb holders have the capacity to bring in um, godly information that people without wombs don't have the capacity to tap into, right? So especially in, in um, Native American ways of being, the womb holders were gifted ceremonies. They were the main medicine people, right? And so then when you have like colonization and when these ceremonies, these ways of being um, indigenous languages are intentionally banished and are made to be, you know, it's illegal to express these ways of being, then, you know, how, how are these perspectives going to stay alive? And then you have these religious influences, especially like, the Catholic church and stuff like that, which then has a patriarchal perspective, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit and Jesus. I love Jesus, right? Jesus was an amazing, amazing person. Yet the story that the exaggeratedness of his story says that it's the father, the son, and the Holy spirit and recognizing that it's a man's place to have this unique relationship with God. Now, everyone has the capacity to have a beautiful relationship with God and the individual, it will always be unique, right? Yet because of the patriarchy, suppressing womb holders, and I will say women as well, suppressing womb holders and women 
and and saying, okay, you 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 can't have a relationship to God that's not through the church. And this is when the witch burning started to happen as well. I'm, I'm, I'm hopping across different parts of the world, but it's all connected because it was a collective shift in, in the human psyche, right? So this is why witches were burned and prosecuted because they were having a way of relating to God that was personal and not through the church. And, and this story, even though we're not in it now, there are debris of it floating around in our psyche because we are the results of our ancestors. So our ancestors that have been oppressed through colonization and through the church and were made to feel that their bleeding was a punishment because we don't have the right to pursue knowledge is so devastating so there is this big chunk of acknowledgement that we have to look at the history and yeah ask how did we end up here hating our bodies wishing that we didn't bleed thinking that we're being punished for something that once upon a time in many different cultures throughout the world was perceived as the most sacred thing possible So anybody who's listening, if you're having a full body experience like right now, like me, I'm feeling that the, I'm feeling my ancestors. Like I'm feeling this energy behind me that you're calling in through this transmission of this truth and this wisdom. And I can feel my whole body's covered in chills, but it's the back of my body. Mm-hmm. And that's the sensation I get when I feel that that energy come through. Yeah. Wow. I'm a bit speechless, Mm. fully receiving what you're just sharing. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really powerful in, in, uh, I I held a, uh, my first in-person immersion over the weekend called the sovereign pussy. And a part of that, what we did is we went through all these different ancient perspectives on sexuality on female ejaculation and female genitalia in general. And you'd be so surprised that almost in every single part of the world, there is an ancient culture that finds the female form, female ejaculation and sexuality divinely sacred. There are sacred texts written on this. In India, there's over 85 temples dedicated to this. We used to live in a world where there was priestess temples where people would come in in reverence to honor the female form and its capacity to create ejaculation water and to bleed and to create life and so yes when I'm speaking these things there's a part of you that knows that to be true and that's what that somatic feeling of oh the, the chills and that okay this this is my ancestors here behind me because it's like your ancestors are spiritually with you, but they're also in your body because you are you are de- a descendant of all the people who came before you and they're still in your blood. Parts of their consciousness exist within you. So when I'm sp- speaking this to you, the people that resonate and have a physical response, that is literally the, the activation of your, an- the, your ancestors' DNA in your body saying, yes, I remember this. Yes. That is exactly my experience from the get-go, from the moment you started speaking. I remember what it was like consciously in this vessel, in this body, having that shame, having that judgment cast upon me and feeling that and having to 
learn that mm-hmm. and have a very similar experience to you with the moon cup and, and looking at my bleed and then pouring it back into the earth and having that ceremonial ritual with myself. Yeah personal experience very personal and sacred experience Mm -hmm. and then to have this knowing feel like this feeling of like just this knowing that I can feel yeah somatically in my body from experiences that I haven't consciously physically experienced in this life but resonate with so deeply to my core yeah yeah Yeah, it's powerful and and everything in relationship to the womb and and bleeding and birth transcends time because you know that in order for you to exist, every single person in your lineage has had to bleed and give birth. And it's I was thinking the other day, it's so weird that we say that the year is 2022 because it automatically makes us naive to time because we think, okay, prior to the birth of Christ, what are we just like blocking out all of this ancient time? Because how long have actually humans been doing their thing? It's a lot longer than 2022 years. And so it's like, there's so much sacredness when we consider how long human beings have been bleeding and birthing on this earth. Yeah, a hundred percent, which is not being documented in a way that is, taught like I feel like the documentation of our history is very limited because we're unable to interpret what it all means you know like the Egyptians and the I can't even say the word the holographics is that right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like we don't know what the fuck that means we don't know any of that and they were in a matriarchal in my belief is that the Egyptians lived in a matriarch and then that's even then like um, Isis and Mary Magdalene and the the relationship there and how that intertwines with Jesus and I'm so set on reading the Bible because I want to understand what happened what happened for us to um, everything that you've spoken into the Father the Son the, the Holy Spirit and I have interviewed somebody on this podcast who has found Jesus and does go to church and I see how that can invoke goodness in people and I can I can see how that um, supports uh, a, I guess integrity or bringing people back yeah. into a you know yeah. a sense of moral having a moral compass of some kind yeah and then there's still parts of me that are in question about like you know the ritual that we have created to honor God and honor these stories mm-hmm. feel so restrictive. Like it's such a personal experience and a personal relationship that we each have with God. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. I think it's like everyone deserves to feel safe to find their own unique way of relating to God. So my father is a Christian. He goes to church and me and him have this beautiful understanding that we have the same faith. We have different ways of expressing that faith, but it is the same. And I think the invitation that I want to extend to womb holders is to feel safe enough to explore faith that is based on connecting to their bodies and to their cycle 
because although Christianity and church and prayer is so important and is in complete alignment with some people, it's not going to be in complete alignment with everyone. And I find that the the Christian way can be quite disembodied, especially for womb holders that are not taught of the sacredness of birth and life. So this is also a somatic revolution, which is the period of time that we're going through at the moment, especially because our North Node is in Taurus. So we're all learning how to come back into our bodies. And I think what I would love to see is womb holders feeling safe to release that shame and allowing their wombs to teach them how, even though I'm like, yeah, menstruation, I'm an educator. Yeah. Woo, woo. All I really do is create this safe environment for deep listening to occur between someone and their genitals and their womb, because I don't know what's what ancestral secrets and wisdom you have in your womb. Like that's yours. And so that's what I just want for everyone, that personal, unique experience for them to be in deep listening to their womb. Love that. And so with that, you had that workshop on Sunday. What, like, I mean, you would have witnessed it firsthand. All the, I'm assuming that you were, the, the wisdom was coming through all the different people that were there. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And so this is an in-person experience and this is something that you offer frequently like how how can people get access to this facilitation mm-hmm. so i am a guide i in in a part of the ritual we did on sunday and also what i do offer is online self pleasure rituals guiding people to have intimacy with their bodies and even though I use the word pleasure and I talk a lot about eroticism and stuff like that for me pleasure and eroticism isn't linked to sex or masturbation because I understand that eroticism is the frequency is the frequency of creation right? Because each of us has come to exist from eroticism, from coming together of genitals and at least one person having an orgasm. We wish that it was everybody having an orgasm, but definitely just one person having an <laughs> orgasm, at least. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and so... <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this is our collective creation story is eroticism and the way that we all feel about sex and intimacy and bleeding is how we relate to creation so if someone like oh it's like sex makes them feel really uncomfortable and and they're disconnected from their body and all these things it's like okay what is their relationship going to be with every other part of their life because eros is life energy so when i'm guiding people to be present in their bodies and to really notice subtle sensations and how slowly can they touch themselves and okay feeling into the heart what does the heart have to say it's like 
when we are having sex with someone, it's forced embodiment, forced presence. But if we're not practicing that outside of sex, then it's not going to, to gel well. So in my rituals, in my spaces, we're connecting to eroticism, connecting to the body, but it's not sexualized. Even though I could be touching my genitals and feeling erotic and, and delicious and yum, I'm not like, oh, yeah, sex. Or even thinking sexual thoughts, I'm like, yes, presence, breath, essence, um, ancestors, clearing. It's like this big spiritual practice. Um, a very beautiful friend of mine who's no longer Earthside, Patrick, he once said, um, everyone's having spiritual awakenings, but they should be having sexual awakenings. Do you know Patrick? I know Patrick. The last conversation I had with Patrick was not the best. And mm-hmm. yeah, amazing human, amazing human, full of so much wisdom. I yeah. met I met Patrick in Guatemala actually and and Patrick was going through his time of 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 his journey, he, yeah. him, yeah. And yeah, just like polyamory, spiritual, no social media. And then I bumped into him at um, Yoke in Melbourne. I was like, oh my God, I have thought about you and I've wanted to meet you again. And you just put like, you had such a lasting imprint on on my heart from that small encounter we had. Mm-hmm. And yeah, incredible human. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's so amazing. And yeah, in my early stages of getting into this, he was one of the people that was just so passionate about sexuality. And he's like, people need to be having sexual awakenings. And and that has really stuck with me. And it's like, yeah, we have all of these spiritual leaders, especially in our community, yet we need to bring it into the erotic and bring it into the sexual, if that's what people want to call it, because that is the life frequency that that runs through us and the the word creation is important because with our erotic energy we're constantly casting spells so I also use eroticism if I want to call something into my life financial abundance a a lover or just a situation I'll bring my eroticism I'll self-pleasure to it and send that orgasmicity as a as a loving manifestation into the universe to create my reality because whether we're conscious of it or not the way that we are having sex or the way that we're relating to our eroticism is creating something so if we're having disconnected you know bang bang sex fucking bust it out and that's that's it there's no deepening connection there's no softness then that's the frequency that we're creating that will propel into the rest of our lives so it's like, what is our relationship to creation? Wow. This is opening me up so much. Like with so much curiosity, I'm I'm wanting to explore this. In a, you know, I've had some really cool people on this podcast that just like have so much me- medicine and wisdom and every person that I've spoken to has their own unique way of delivering that. And, yeah, there's this thing about you where you're just – evoking this inspiration and lighting me up and speaking so much truth I can yeah like I said feel it to my core Mm. and resonate with it so deeply and I I'm sure so many people out there listening are feeling that Mm. can feel the 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 
the truth in what you're sharing right now. Thank you. Um, and it's so much, it's like, cool, I don't feel overwhelmed with how much work I'm yet to experience around this, that the level of intimacy that I currently have with my body and my womb is where it's at and there's room for growth because I can feel that, you know, feeling the embodiment and feeling where you're at is totally different to where I'm at and there's that space between us where I'm like, cool, I kind of, I want what you've got. I want to I want to feel what you're feeling. I want to have that deep reverence and connection to my womb and heal through my past traumas, heal through my past um, self-abandonment and letting anybody into that space and letting, you know, not being discerning with who I choose to share my body with and not treating this as a sacred space because I wasn't taught that, you know. And I do have... Um, a lot of young women, women, people following me. I want to get onto the gender stuff, but I have a lot of young people following me that will probably feel the truth in this and be so curious about like, okay, there's this is nothing that I've ever learned anywhere. I'm not at school, not through my parents, nowhere. Like what what is this? Yeah. So especially to all the young people that are sharing this continent with us of so-called Australia, I would really (laughs) suggest to begin by having a, a, a deep presence to the land. And what came through my mind before when we were talking, what I really want to acknowledge is the time that I spent on Japarang country um there was multiple sacred birthing trees there that um were set to be cut down for the expansion of a highway um they weren't cut down in the that's a big other conversation but what I want to talk about is me being able to be on that land um with First Nations people and with the frequency of an 800-year-old tree that has birthed thousands of generations. And and this space, it was women's country, these beautiful trees that held the frequency of birth. Honestly, actually, I think that was the big moment and spending time out there, I was the land was just giving me so many codes, so many old, old codes. And it's really interesting being in Australia because we have like like modern Western colonial Australia that has its own thought form. And it is this thought form that, you know, is like oh, bleeding. We can't see blood, keep it hidden, um, you know, not inspiring much connection. But then just behind that or to the side or underneath we've got this ancient current in the land a hundred thousand years worth of wisdom and understanding how sacred it is to, to birth and give life and so it's it's about okay what does each person need to do to sort of you know break away and have enough space from this western colonial thought form to tap into this sacredness because the the land is is giving it to us we've got 100,000 years worth of people being in deep listening to the land and uploading these sacred codes. And we're just like in between, again, this is another way that I'm this bridge. So what I'm trying to do is, is people that are in this Western thought form just sort of 
pop the little bubble and be like, can you feel that there's this deep sacredness that is in the land and also in you? Mm, you know, and, and I, I recognize that maybe some of the words that I'm using might make people feel a bit like, oh, like, or sacredness or in ancient or womb or, you know, a, a new word. So it's it's really just about witnessing, okay? I, I'm an, acknowledging that this feels a bit weird. This, this language is a bit foreign and it's really challenging the part of my brain that isn't used to that. And it's just, it's like the resilient edge of resistance. We're just sort of hovering in that space of like, oh, I feel uncomfortable, but it's that uncomfortable thing that makes us go, oh, actually there's space for expansion here in, in my belief system. Yes. Oh my God. I love that so much. I just went on a journey with you. <laughs> I love the way that you like your, your, your motion and the movements and how that like is, it's just, it's just, you're such a great storyteller. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about like this belief system and this, um, you know, you were talking about edging into the space of I'm totally paraphrasing what you've said, like unfamiliarity and mm-hmm. the part where we do get challenged mm-hmm. um, with these words. Mm-hmm. Now we're going through a challenge of identity mm-hmm. where people, including yourself, are choosing alternative identities that go beyond gender. Yeah. So I would love your insights on that. I feel like you have an authority to speak about this. You have a lot of wisdom around this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the the gender journey like really slapped me in the face and took me by surprise. And for the longest time, I was like, I identify as a woman. I'm just revolutionizing what it means to be a woman. And it started when in my younger days of university, I was like, I'm not shaving anything on my body. I'm going to be hairy and I'm not wearing a bra and just was going through like, okay, what does it mean to be a woman? All these like beauty standards. I'm just like, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not subscribing to that. So, you know, it's happening there. I was, yeah, I'm a woman. So good. So good. And then my beautiful friend who's also non-binary for the first time referred to me using they, them pronouns when we were in a group setting. And in that moment that, because they're non-binary, they use they, them pronouns and they used those pronouns for me and I felt so seen it was like terrifying and beautiful all at the same time I was like whoa what is this and what happened in that moment is something cracked and the possibility of more freedom came to me and I was shook because I was like, whoa, I'm still trying to wrap my head around making sure that I can use they, them pronouns for my friend. And now I'm having this, again, somatic response to someone using they, them pronouns for me. And I'm very lucky that I had such a supportive friend like Naomi who was like, babe, like I can just start using they, them pronouns for you if you like, and you can just see how it feels. And I was like, oh, okay. So I've been on this journey of just, seeing how it feels and then I just began to hear gendered language and how everything is gendered clothing is gendered objects are gendered everything I was like oh she her she her she her she her if I was out in public at at a restaurant hey lady 
these girls, blah, blah, blah. And I specifically noticed the way that men would treat me because I know that I'm always going to be perceived as a woman. Um, and so when, when men see me, there's this automatic script that they engage in because, oh, this is a woman and I relate to a woman in this way. Then I'd catch myself being like, oh, brazzy, like fucking, you know, talking like this, swearing because I'm trying to be like, hey, I'm, I'm more of a brother to you because, well, I'm gay. Like I do have the capacity to find very feminine men um, attractive and I have had boyfriends in, in the past, but I'm at a time in my life where I'm, I know that, what I desire on a soul level is to be in partnership with someone who has the same genitalia as me and who was raised as a woman because there's that um, psychological match that I'm also attracted to as well. So I don't like men perceiving me as um, a woman because this, this script just rolls out and I'm like, I don't vibe with that. And also when I was feeling into womanhood and, and how much of womanhood has like is all about being heterosexual and a woman has to do X, Y, and Z uh, extended list to be perceived as attractive by a man. And none of that was relevant to me. So I was like, what the fuck? Like, whoa, like, okay, these parts of our, my identity don't serve me anymore. And then I used to think that my womanhood was tethered to my womb and obviously we've spoken about my deep relationship to, to my womb and then I was like, hold on, but being connected to my womb and bleeding and creation and all this stuff which is fucking multidimensional as doesn't relate to what I perceive is a third dimensional perspective of, of womanhood and, and gender. And I feel like it, it, at this, at this time of being alive and the human collective consciousness is evolving. I just feel like there's parts that are just disintegrating and dying. And, and, and like, that's why racism is falling away. We're just acknowledging that we shouldn't judge people based on their their race, you know? And for me now, gender is also falling away. Like our, our biological differences that aren't even that different, but if someone has a vulva or a penis, therefore their lives have to be completely separate ways of expressing. I'm like, what the fuck? Like every single individual is completely unique and if a pe person with a penis has body hair and wants to wear a dress and makeup, don't they deserve to be safe to do that? Mm, yeah, I like that. It challenges me because my work's based around heterosexual relationships, you know. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of teaching and educating around what it is to be a man in a relationship and a woman in a relationship and people who identify as that. And I've had conversations with Naomi and I'm like, there's so much programming in my mind that has been locked into this way of being and yeah it really really challenges me and then I'm like you know I'm a leader I'm, I'm teaching some really deep stuff and I'm holding this space and creating my my intention and and what I'm here for is to create an integration because I believe I'd love to know if you believe this too, but I believe that we carry both masculine energy 
the this is what I believe the masculine and feminine great look at you like I yeah, yeah, yeah. To say about this <laughs> the masculine and the feminine within us and integrating that and understanding that these labels are concepts to compartmentalize and conceptualize ideas which eventually evolve dissolve once we integrate the archetypes that they represent that is to be a human yes and all the characteristics that fall within being the masculine archetype are characteristics that are just simply characteristics as are the ones that fall within the feminine archetype and that integration that is represented within us that marriage that union that that sacred relationship that we can have within ourselves then gets represented in our relationships with others whether it's platonic or romantic and that's what my I feel my mission is in healing and my support in healing the world and what I'm in service to. And then I also get challenged by um, the biology, you know, and the hormones and our, our very distinct differences in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. However, you know, there are women who are female body owners or the language is still very, 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 very programmed. Mm-hmm. And I get really uncomfortable in my body sometimes when I notice that and I'm like, I have to correct myself. And, you know, that part of me that's like, I really want to be inclusive and I really want people to understand that, like, I, I'm i doing my, the best that I can, basically, with all this information that's available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, people who identify as women, who uh, have been raised in this patriarchal system and and are, uh, you know, in workplaces and in a society that does not support a female body to be cyclical and to tune and isn't attuned to that cycle. You know, we are cyclical beings, womb owners, pussy owners. And so when we do have an override of testosterone and cortisol, like there's all this sciencey stuff that comes in yeah. for me that challenges yeah. me. So I'm like, and I'm, I'm like, this is a conversation for me. Like I really want you to fucking spank me across the face. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. First of all, I just want to say that your offering is uniquely yours based on your lived experience and the medicine that creator has gifted to you to gift to the people right and so I don't want you to to yeah carry this like stress and tension based on because some some queer people especially are very like fucking come on like inclusivity like what the fuck and I get it but that's also coming from a place of trauma and not a place of understanding whereas I can see you and your gifts and I'm like you are in a female body you identify as being a woman you have heterosexual relationships that is going to be what your medicine is I wouldn't expect you to be like all right I'm gonna do the stuff that you know because it's not your it's not your experience you know so you're here to to perfect what is your specific magic and the reason why your body is like responding and oh okay because you care because you're compassionate you know you love people and so you don't want to do anything wrong and that's beautiful and I want to acknowledge all the people that feel fucking awkward and unco about it because it is difficult to get used to and like that stuttering of like oh women oh female oh oh, uh, uh, what do I say and it's like cool cool you know like yes that that desire to be inclusive is so beautiful and just be patient with yourself because we're human we're learning we're allowed to fuck up and also 
like you know I work for a dance school that is for vulva owners to empower them to feel anchored in their femininity which you know I have this whole other school of thought that maybe doesn't fully align with that but I can still see the value and it's like people in female bodies who identify as being women also deserve to be empowered as well as people in a female body who are gender non-conforming and non-binary it's like it's not any type of competition or to empower one means the other one is not empowered and I think that like queer people I another part of my work is I want to help queer people to heal themselves so it can so they can be of service to other queer people because I wouldn't expect you to be of service to non-binary queer people because you don't have that lived experience to support them in that so it's like you do what is your medicine and I do what is my medicine and yes we can teach each other things and and heterosexual cis people can um, you know, have training so that they are more aware of what's going on. It's the same as being like trauma informed or racially informed. To be queer informed is also important. And it's important that also you can feel safe in your body to talk about it and be like, oh no, is someone going to cancel me because I fumbled and said woman instead of vulva owner or something, you know? I'm like, uh, yeah, the whole thing about cancel culture literally gets me. I'm like, please try and cancel me. Like, it's not going to happen. My voice ain't getting shut down. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's another story for another day. But it's true. I do have that fear. And I think that, like, this is one representation of that discomfort of a lack of understanding of something yeah. because I haven't had that lived experience. And so it can be really jarring for people, not only me, who are listening to this and, like, probably have a similar experience to what I'm having around, like, how can I be more inclusive how can I how can I address this in a way that is respectful and accommodating and at the same time compassionate like Mm. what you said and caring Mm. um and I feel that like educating ourselves with this is what you know asking people like you what does it what was your journey like like what what made you realize that you're you're no longer wanting to subscribe to this limitation of gender Mm. like and, and really seeing the human on the other side, seeing the person on the other side of this particular stereotype that now that we, that we, that's so present, you know, there's a stereotype that is being formed Mm. that we are like, it's just, it's being manifested. That's what's happening. Yeah. And I really want to acknowledge queer erasure that has happened all throughout history. Again, this is linked to colonization and the Western perspectives of gender and and, and gender standards and, and beauty has been pushed onto us. Whereas in indigenous cultures and um, cultures with brown and black people, the visual differences between man and woman were not um you couldn't tell the difference, you know. There are plenty of people of races in the world where um, biological females have, you know, facial hair or, you know, present more masculinely or whatever. So it's also, again, looking at this Western colonial thought form and being like, okay, why do we not see queer people? I, growing up, didn't have representations of lesbians. And the the few that I did was through TV shows where it was like, 
you know, Marissa Cooper on the OC, she was having a, a, a you know, dark night of the soul and she was problematic. And so she had a, a fleeting lesbian thing, you know, or I thought that lesbians were always really dark and like, and like all like fat, butchy women and like had this very, really narrow perspective. And so if I grew up seeing queer people and queer people weren't being bashed, uh, ridiculed and hidden, you know, what what would that have looked like for me? I don't know, because everything is heterosexual. You know, all the movies I grew up watching, advertisements, everything is so heterosexual and in alignment to these gender stereotypes. And and that's obviously why it becomes difficult for everyone to try and, okay, change the language and to try and see outside of that because we've been so heavily conditioned from day dot to have this very specific understanding of gender and relationships. And so this is why queer people hold so much grief and trauma is because we've had to find who we truly are with having hardly any role models of that, but going within and saying, you know what, I'm going to have the courage to to outwardly express what's on the inside and specifically transgender people are the bravest people that I know because what is braver than than putting your safety at risk just to be yourself you know to say actually even though I was born with a penis and everyone else wants me to be a man I know that I'm a woman and this is how I want to express myself because it is my truth and we haven't seen that historically, but trans people, gender non-conforming people, queer people have always existed. As long as there's been humans, there's been this. And so some people that are caught on with like, oh, there's like this new craze, like being non-binary is this brand new thing. It's not new. We're just forcing ourselves to be seen because it has been repressed for so long and, and also stemming back to Indigenous perspectives, every single Indigenous culture in the world acknowledges multiple genders and people who are trans or gender non-conforming or Native American people refer to them as two-spirit are revered as the most, one of the most spiritually powerful people within the community because they're deeply tethered to the divine masculine and the divine feminine and you know, will be able to take part in perhaps men's business and women's business. So they're like this custodian of of, of wisdom that someone who is a cis person, person born in a female body identifies as a woman, this trans person actually contains more knowledge. And I see that in trans people now, which is also why I want to support the queer community to heal so that they can say, you know what, yes, I do have this divine wisdom to share. And I think that every single person has something beautiful to learn from from trans and gender non-conforming people. I really love that. And something that came through really strong while you were speaking is this, the remedy of judgment is curiosity. And the the root cause of this um, prejudice against people who are outside the, 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 the social constructs that we have created through colonisation is a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. 
And so these people who came and colonized these countries had, in my opinion, such a deep level of discomfort mm-hmm. in something other than what they know. Yeah. And then with that, you know, the human psyche, the brain wants to control because that's what feels safe. Mm -hmm. And so what I feel is really important is to speak into the healing can only take place once we can accept what is and understand that these people didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And, yes, there's a responsibility there. And now we've got work to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. To undo all that. Mm-hmm. Because we get to choose the higher road because we are more aware because we have this, this when we are more aware, we have this responsibility to choose a more evolved path. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where each generation is becoming more ethical than the next. And one of my biggest inspirations, their name is Alok and they're a non-binary poet speaker just fucking transformational person just so amazing and um what they've said is that it's all about compassion and we don't need to understand someone's existence in order to gift them compassion compassion needs to be the baseline of like okay you're a human being you deserve to be alive you deserve to be safe because the reality is that a lot of people are not going to understand the queer experience, the transgender experience. They can definitely go out of their way with all these resources that we have now to understand. But if understanding is the requirement for love and compassion, it's going to be even more, more a longer journey. But if the baseline can be compassion and love first and foremost, because that person is a human being and every human being deserves to have a safe life then I think that that's where the transformation is going to start. But again, we have a society of people who don't even have compassion for themselves because, you know, we, especially this, this evolution of consciousness is all about us being able to be in our hearts and someone who's not in their hearts is not going to be able to have a, have compassion for someone who visually feels very different to them but so what's the the journey is also for for self-compassion and and Alok speaks a lot about as well gender non-conforming people represent possibility and so someone who is a cis man and I think honestly I feel very sad for for men because the the gender box that is man for me feels the most uh stressful and and repressive and okay if you're a man you have to behave this way and you can't show any femininity or or else you know and so for a cis man to see a non-binary or a trans woman someone in a male body who's expressing femininity that challenges the parts of them that they've pressed down so in order to engage compassion for someone else Where's the personal self-compassion? So again, it all comes back to individual healing. And yes. that's going to play its role in the whole shift of everything. Yes, thank you. I love that. And I love that clarity piece on, yeah, you have this really poetic and grounded and diplomatic approach on and, and helping winning is the helping create compassion and invite people into compassion and I like what you've said about 
understand because you're right like how could I ever possibly I mean I understand what it's I don't identify as heterosexual I identify as pansexual Mm -hmm. um because for me it's so much more than the physical form it's Mm -hmm. the energetics that I experience and the exchange that I have so I have you know and I love that there's a word to describe my experience because for so long I was like, what the hell, what is this? You know, <laughs> I'm attracted to this person and it's, and all the things. So, um, yeah, but then nobody is ever really going to understand my personal unique experience either because I'm in this body, I'm in this mind and I've got my own soul, an expression of God. So thank you for clearing that and saying what you've said about that. And, um, yeah, I really feel like people, do you, like, in terms of supporting people, what advice would you give people who are who are younger and exploring their identity? Like, what advice do you wish that you had when you were, you know, in your late teens, early 20s? Mm. I that it's safe to be uniquely you yeah I think so much of my adolescence I was desiring to be someone else's version of beautiful someone else's version of attractive of sexy and it was this consistent thread of like validation like I just wanted to be validated and so for me to become ultimately womanly was my main way of getting validation and so that's put me on this long journey to come back is actually my most fulfilling way to be validated is to listen to my heart and be like who do I want to be and no matter how much there's the voice in my head that's like but you could be judged for that and I'm I'm a fucking Libra rising and my Venus is in Libra and so what people think of me <laughs> what my people- Libra's in Venus as well and I'm a Libra sun so I like- yeah yeah we both get it right it's like what people think of us we want to be perceived and and like be perceived as good you know and so for like any young people listening that are questioning their gender it's like who you are in the world is not about other people and how other people perceive you and whether someone else is going to perceive you as worthy you yourself just decide how worthy you are and you are fucking worthy because no one else can do you the unique codes that you are here on planet earth to give and to be is only going to come from you being radically honest with who you are and you know I've been a part of so many like really spiritual spaces and very sacred spaces plant medicine ceremonies the full thing and the biggest wisdom is like just be you Jamie Lee and then I feel like the queer community is like yeah you can just be you and I'm like okay and so it's like babes just fucking do you but it takes the work so also let's be committed to to healing because there is a lot of healing that has to happen in order to 
connect to the frequency of of freedom because we actually are free to be ourselves and we don't have to believe that we're not because we are and I'm so grateful for social media as well because I don't have much of a tangible queer community but I can be my most outrageous self online and there are so many people that are like fuck yes I'm like bringing in the door and people are like yeah you're amazing I'm like oh cool <laughs> I'm like such a fangirl. I watch you dance. I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. I just love the way that you express yourself online. I really do. Yeah, it's been, that's also been such a healing tool for me because I know the people that are following me are people that are going to be into it, right? So I get to upload a, an avatar, a version of myself online and then witness how it's received and then watch myself back. And it's like, um, you know, the first time in lockdown, I put myself in in drag and I was wearing like this red lace lingerie, but then, you know, had a mustache and a fucking beard and like all this like masculine makeup. And I was just like gender bending. And I was like, fuck, I'm actually alone in my room because we're in lockdown, but I'm going to put this on the internet and just like see what happens. And so being seen in my authenticity in that way has also helped me to realize, oh, I, I am safe because there are so many people out there in the world that are like, same. And, you know, I, I've uploaded hot pictures of myself all the time, right? But when I'm actually online talking about gender and being emotional and, and talking about the difficulties, I get so much more positive feedback from that dialogue than what I do from a hot selfie. So it's actually affirming to me that, whoa, there are so many people that are feeling the way that I feel. They just haven't given voice to it. And I'm giving voice to it and people are messaging me, oh my God, thank you so much. I feel exactly the same way. Yes, yes, yes. And it's like, yes, our experiences are so much more similar than what we think. And once we start speaking about it, whoa, it's like we're so much more similar than what we realize. I fucking love that. And it's it's so empowering. There's so much medicine in your transmission of you being you. And by being your quirky, weird, fun, playful, like unique, unapologetic self, it gives permission to other people to do the same. So thank you. Okay. That's all the time we've got. <laughs> For now, because I will, I mean, if you want to come back on, please. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, how can people find you? Okay, so my Instagram uh, is the best way that you can stay connected to me is Jamie Lee Willoughby. Um, and so my business is also called School of Erotic Alchemy. I also run that through my personal Instagram page as well. But very soon what I'm going to do is create a big mailing list because every month I'm going to be running in-person sex education um, classes from my home if you are based in Melbourne, Nam. Um, but Alternatively, every other second week, I'm going to have online self-pleasure rituals. So I'm birthing a, a movement of returning to self, erotic alchemy, upgrade, safety, love, heart, magic. So I want everyone to feel comfortable to, to join. So I'd love for people to follow my journey and to yeah be a part of this revolution. 
Thank you so much. And for those who are curious, I will add all of those details into the bio that will be attached to this particular podcast on whatever platform you're using. Thank you so much for joining me, Jamie Lee. I love you. I love your essence. And I'm so excited to meet you physically. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to have a great time. <laughs> I feel like we're just going to be like making music videos or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, gotta have a dance party. <laughs> I literally, my biggest dream is to dance like Beyonce and to see you doing it. I'm like, I have to, I have to do, I have to, I have, to have this. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. So <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been Thank amazing. You. Thanks for listening, everybody. I will see you on the next, or I will speak to you on the next podcast. <laughs>